Professor Americon underscores the vital importance of supply chain risk management and the sometimes surprising upside of risk. This week on the Patient Driven Supply Network with Roddy Martin. Professor Americon, it's an absolute privilege to have you on this recorded thought leadership series that we've been building. It's been really a privilege to uh, to interview and introduce and hear the perspectives of many of the world's supply chain leaders. This is like a giant book that we're creating with lots of 15, 20-minute uh, um, um, chapters. So, you know, my experience with you goes back to the many paths that we've crossed at supply chain conferences where we've spoken about, you know, what's happening in supply chain, what's happening in healthcare. You know, I've watched with interest as you've moved through the various institutions and, and now are leading risk management. I think risk management in this whole pandemic scenario is a fascinating subject and we'll get on to that. But how about you introducing yourself uh, and a little bit about, you know, what's taken you to where you are today and then we'll carry on further. Well, thank you, first of all, Roddy, for that really warm welcome. I feel it's a real privilege that you have invited me to join this thought leadership series. So I'm really humbled that you've invited me to participate in this. Um, When you said that, you know, the fascinating world of supply chain risk management, I can't agree with you more, Roddy. It's an industry or an area that I've been working in now for the best part of 20 years of my professional career, and I'm still massively fascinated by it. I think that it's such a dynamic uh, field of study. I enjoyed doing my PhD. And, and that's really where I started was um, I was at Manchester Business School in the UK and um, was very keen on sort of understanding the uh, challenges that were facing the textile industry having come from a family of textile manufacturers. And I didn't actually start by considering that, oh, I'm going to do a PhD on supply chain risk management, because, you know, think about this, around 20 years ago, we didn't really talk about supply chain risk management. But what turned out to be was a thesis on supply chain risk management. So um, it it wasn't really something that I had planned, but it turned into that after doing four years of sort of research and investigation into this. Mary, if I can just interrupt you, you know, the interesting thing, because we want to make this a discussion, right? So yeah. we're going to interrupt each other and it's perfectly yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. legal to do that as a discussion. <laughs> is, you know, when when the risk management people came into a supply chain meeting, everybody kept quiet because they were the intruders in the meeting. What do they know about supply chain? But today, you don't want to have a meeting without them. Yeah, absolutely, Roddy. In fact, you know, one of the key points that I made in my, my thesis was that we should no longer talk about supply chain management, but rather more supply chain risk management, because every decision that we make in our supply chains is we've got to take a consideration of the risks. And when I, when I think about risks, I don't think just about the downside. I don't think about the negative uh, attributes just of risk. I actually also consider the upside of risk. So one of, that was another argument I was making in my dissertation is that if we really look back at the history of risk, you can take it all the way back to the days of gambling um, in the Arab world where, you know, you dared to take a chance, you dared to take a risk. Therefore, there's an upside to risk and a downside of risk. So for me, when we talk about supply chain risk management, supply chain risk management, for example, in the pharma industry, of course, we're talking a lot more about safety and and patients and regulatory so there's a lot more we're talking about 
about uh, yeah, safety issues around those things. But if we then look at it from the fashion sector, actually taking risks with range choices and the next collection, should it be leopard print or zebra print, that's a risky decision that could bring significant gains. So in that sense, you know, I look at both upside and downside risk, and that's why I think that we should replace supply chain management with supply chain risk management, because I think that's a, a truer expression of what we're really referring to. I remember um, one of my first meetings when I had just joined Cranfield University, we were invited by uh, a, a very big pharma company. When I went into this meeting, it was in the boardroom, we went around the table and we had been invited by Cranfield as the risk, you know, as the supply chain risk experts to potentially do a consultancy project. But when we were meeting all of the representatives, each and every one of them introduced themselves. I'm, I'm you know, Mr. Smith and I'm from R&D and I'm so-and-so and I'm from technical. And, and each of them said, but I have nothing to do with supply chain risk management. But, I, but I'm here because I'm interested. It was almost like as if they were frightened to own up and say, you know, hey, ho, you know, I, I, I'm the risk manager. And in fact, at that time, for the entire company, there was only two risk management managers and they were not even present in the meeting, not even in the form of Zoom or anything, right? So the challenge I saw there was, and I was really new, you know, just done a PhD. I don't know how you win and lose consultancy contracts necessarily. But I remember when it came to my, my, uh, my ch chance of explaining, you know, introducing myself and I said, hi, I'm Amira Khan, I'm a research fellow at Cranfield University and uh, I'm a research fellow in supply chain risk management. But actually, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here if none of you guys around the table don't want to actually, you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking about supply chain risk management. Now, the story goes, Roddy, I was given a slap on the wrist by my more senior colleague that Amira, that's how you do not do it. You know, and I was like, but, and I was trying to explain to her, but how are we as consultants or the academic experts going to help in supply chain risk management thinking? How are we going to solve their issues and, and, and their challenges if they do not own up to the challenge themselves, if they don't actually embrace a, a, full, a full sort of unaccountability that supply chain risk management is even important? And, and, you know, Mera, I think that that's probably true of 90% of, of pharmaceutical companies and, in fact, companies. You know, John, Cha John Chambers, who used to be the CEO and chairman of Cisco, uh, made a fascinating comment in Fortune magazine where he said, why is it that these risk management strategies and business continuity plans are developed and they sit in the bottom drawer and then everybody scrambles when there's a disruption to take it out, dust it off, and figure out what's still relevant. Why are these risk management strategies and business continuity plans continuously live? There's a team that's continuously updating them. It's, it's open. It's being used as the sort of governance manual of the business, and it goes to exactly the point you've made, right? Risk management is not something you slap on the side of a business when you suddenly see that there's a crisis coming. It's the way you, you make trade-offs in the business. You make them against a, a risk management strategy. So I, I love the story, and I think it's, it's not necessarily true of one company. It's probably true of, of okay. 90% yeah. of companies today. And, I find it, I mean, I'm just fascinated by this because, you know, many years after that, you know, as a, as a professor and I teach supply chain risk courses around the world to students all around the world. So you can imagine, you know, the different cultural nuances 
you know, like I would say students in India, for example, uh, I would say they, they seem a lot more entrepreneurial, maybe in the Nordics when you're teaching there, they're a little bit more risk averse. And, and that's just the cultural sort of demographic right. that you, you kind of sense. But I've always, I've always mentioned this story to them because it's just something that has stuck with me because it was so early on in my career. And I always say to my students, geez, you know, when I think about how amazing my career has been, I would, I'm, I'm so proud to hold the flag up and say, I do supply chain risk management. I find it exciting, fascinating. I mean, even post COVID, if we look at, you know, where, where's, where's a lot of the attention going? It's on supply chain risk managers and resilience, right? So as a professor who's educating a nation of future leaders, you know, of young people who are out there, you know, to get the future jobs and future positions, I'm hoping that I've made them a lot more comfortable in thinking, go out there and become the supply chain risk managers because the world needs you. It's, it's, it's the, it's the backbone I would say of almost every business, you know, it's not, it's, it's more than just managing day to day disruptions, Roddy, as a supply chain risk manager, you are fundamentally, you're protecting the DNA of the enterprise, right? You are, you know, and we, we've talked a lot about agility in the past and what does resilience mean? And I think that, you know, every supply chain risk manager should be striving for the resilience of the extended enterprise, right? Um, and the same goes for agility. If we think about, you know, we, we see a lot of companies use these phrases, you know, we are an agile organization. I mean, what does that really mean when we say we're an agile organization? Are you really truly an agile organization as an, is it enterprise wide agility? Because if it's within the diet of a customer buyer relationship and that's agile, well, you can't truly say you're an agile organization. And what I think makes a truly agile organization is if the people in those organizations are also agile. But I think one of the biggest barriers, you know, that sort of constricts almost agility in an organization is, is inertia to change. It's complacency. If we really look at some of the winners, like, you know, the Amazons and the Jeff Bezos of the world, if you look at what characterizes them as truly resilient enterprises or agile organizations, is that I think it's very much linked to sort of, you know, disruptors and disruptive innovators. And I think that's a, a really big characteristic, I believe, going forward for true agility and true resilience. And, and I think you can package that in with supply chain mismanagement. I don't think there's that much distinguishing what is supply chain risk management and what is resilience. I think supply chain risk management is what we do to achieve resilience. I think agility is what we strive for to achieve resilience. So I think these are almost the foundations of building our, you know, what we call the temple of supply chain excellence, uh, what, what we, we, we call that at Cranfield University. That's fantastic. And, you know, you've seen me many times present the five-stage maturity model, which, which I carry around all over the world. And, and it's much more commonly used now. And when you say to somebody stage two, they kind of know what it means. And I, and I think risk management is particularly true or the, the journey of risk management is particularly relevant to that five-stage model because in stage two, which is project-based improvement, um, you know, there's a project called risk management. But in stage four, which is end-to-end -end supply chain, starting with a customer, risk management is actually embedded into the business operating model. It's not something separate. And I think that's the challenge. So my question to you would be, as you 
advise and and uh, um, write to academic research and discuss uh, with C-level executives. Do you think the appetite of the C-level team as a result of the pandemic has really increased towards understanding risk management better, making it much more pragmatically part of the business operating model rather than something that you haul out of a drawer in an emergency and start reading? I, I think I think it has improved. I think now I, I say supply chain risk management has come on the dining table, not even just the board, board, board boardroom. I think a lot more people are aware of the ramifications of, you know, how interconnected our industries, our global supply chains are. I think that we've had several notable disruptions over the last two decades the ash cloud 911 you know there's been many disruptors but none quite like covid-19 and i often say that and and i don't mean to sound doom and gloom about this but once we realize covid-19 there'll be another pandemic there'll be another ash cloud there'll be another disaster so i believe that in i think we have got we, I think we are seeing change, Roddy. I think change is happening because I believe that when we now think about supply chain risk management and resilience, I think we are also thinking about sustainability. So we had this sustainability angle bubbling up before COVID-19. We also had the right, you know, the internet of things and AI and all of these things bubbling up because these are all characteristics of industry 4.0. When we then got hit by COVID-19 and it almost it completely took us by surprise. It's taken businesses by surprise, but it's the lingering effect of this because this is not like the financial crisis. It's the lingering effect of the unknown that I think is forcing businesses to say, okay, this is not something that requires a quick fix. We need to fundamentally change our business model. We need to fundamentally change that the way that we're doing things, you know, so operating models of the past, which were built for, you know, an emergency fix. I think most CEOs are beginning to realize that that same response is not going to work here. So, you know, what's fascinating if you look at, um, you know, the whole testing scenario, developing of tests and the execution of tests, which I call the sort of the Manhattan Project for the globe, right? I mean, it's not just one country, it's everybody has to get this testing right. I mean, just think about the implications of not having accurate testing where you can get almost instantaneous results on businesses and their day-to-day -day operations. I mean, what if you are a Samsung with 10 buildings on a campus or you are a pharmaceutical company in, uh, in Geneva or in, in uh, um, Zurich and you have you know, 15 different buildings on your campus? You can't even have people moving between those buildings because they may go out to a restaurant, come back in with a virus and shut down a whole lab. So, so this is not something that you can treat lightly. I mean, it's going to have to be built into, you know, practices. I mean, what do you do? I, and here in the States, I'm already starting to see wristwatches that will detect to see you know, how close you are to your peers in a working environment, the minute you get within the six feet circle, um, you know, it will alert you. Well, the next thing is you're going to be downloading, you know, coronavirus individuals onto your watch. It says, I'll steer clear of that person because 
they are coronavirus positive. I mean, it's going to fundamentally change the way that we live our lives. Now, so so if you take it, and, and again, I don't want to, like you said, be the sort of prophet of doom and gloom here, but what's the first step? So I'm a chief supply chain officer. I, you know, I've developed a risk management strategy because the investors said we had to have one. The auditors looked at it every time they walked into the organization. I pulled it out of the bottom drawer and I said, look, here it is, a big document. If we need it, we can call it. So so what is what piece of advice would you give a chief supply chain officer and say, look, this is how you need to think about starting your risk management strategy as really the kernel of your supply chain strategy to your own words? I think um, what astonishes me still is how little businesses know their supply chains. I think the first step is that, you know, you need to know your suppliers. You need to know your supply chain. You also need to know your customers. And I think fundamentally what we, what we really need to do is we need to unstick the supply chain you and I, Roddy, we've often talked about, you know, moving from this mind shift of inside out and, and, and more towards outside in. I think over the years, you know, whilst businesses have become brilliant at forecasting demand, I think they've been less sophisticated in how do we actually, um, you know, translate that demand into an actual product offering. And I think there's been over the, the, the last sort of couple of decades, there's been this really strong push on understanding demand portfolios. And we've seen, you know, some, some great professors work on, you know, things of, of understanding demand patterns and how we can work those better. But I think there's been less sophistication on actually our supplier complexity and understanding that. So I think first and foremost, as in base zero, and, and I don't want to sound patronizing in this, is understand your supply chain end to end understand your supply chain we have the technologies in place now that can help us with visibility and transparency and all of those things but fundamentally just the basics of knowing your supply chain first of all and secondly i believe it is actually about you know developing true resilience and i think that over the years i would say in my view i think you know resilience is is more than just saying how do we um continue to perform after a disruption. I think true resilience in a post-pandemic world uh, refers to a lot more. And I think what true resilience in an enterprise will be is that not just how do we continue to perform when a disruption or a shock hits us, how do we actually absorb those shock waves? And how do we get energized by those shock waves? You know, we can take a leaf uh, out of, you know, living sciences and bio biological systems. If we look at living systems and biological sort of uh, environments, um, they actually do really well with shock waves. You know, if they're hit by lightning or whatever, they absorb those energies for the greater good of the rest of the forest, for example. And if supply chains could start absorbing some of these shock waves and disruption, but for uh, bringing in that energy and for the better good of a much more shared, equitable approach in the supply chain community, I think we will make some um, really big strides in what true resilience should be. So, so I have a great story for you, actually, a really practical story. I mean, you live on that side of the pond and you know Nestle chocolates like, you know, it's part of, it's part of that side of the world. Whereas here, 
Hershey chocolates are the side of the world. Well, when when uh, when Hershey went live on SAP, it was a disaster, and for four or five days, they were literally not shipping product. It just wasn't moving. Nestle climbed in boots and all, and now you find Nestle chocolates all over the United States, and it started as a result of a company not being able to meet their commitments in the supply chain. And I think that's exactly the point you make, right? Is there's going to be these really sharp vultures sitting around in the supply chain, like in Amazon, for example. And I'm not saying they're a, they're a vulture, but they're going to wait for people to trip and fall and they're just going to climb into that market and take it away from you if you're not resilient enough. If you trip and fall and you can't get up and keep running, someone's going to take it away from you. Absolutely. I think the world is changing, Roddy. And I think that, you know, I believe that we, we need a lot more innovative uh, leadership. We need a lot more creative leadership to effectuate this change. You know, you know, you asked me that, you know, what, what should some of these first steps be? And I think some parts of it is really going back to the basics of just doing business good. But it's also about understanding that the world is changing. It's it's rapid fire now. We live in an increasingly fast paced world, but we actually have some great technologies to actually help aid, you know, how fast we need to become. It just requires a mind shift change. And I'm not saying just in a simple way. I mean, I, I know these, these decisions and these changes do not happen overnight, but we've got to start somewhere. And I think that the chief supply chain officers really need to, uh, you know, start looking at, you know, the end goal is ultimately about striving for resilience. And striving for resilience means that when the next COVID hits us, we know our supply base, but we also know our customers are strong enough, they're robust enough to withstand those shockwaves. And these are lessons learned. So, you know, there's still a lot of strength in lessons learned, but also, well, how do we absorb these shockwaves? You know, I think that's what, what I was also trying to say before was that resilience is not about just carrying on it's about learning it's about absorbing shockwaves it's energizing from them and then pivoting our our business if need be it's about saying we are not necessarily set in some rigid system that we must do things a certain way and i think that's what's been happening with supply chains is that we invested in sap so now we must use it we don't know what we're using it for. We don't know why it's good, but we've invested so much, so we right. must use it, right? I mean, I mean, it's, it's shocking it's, that it's diabolical, we, absolutely yeah, it's diabolical, right? I mean, leaders think like that rather than, you know, oh, there's a 22-year-old great social media guru who we can employ because he's so fast at analyzing the latest trends or whatever, whatever, and and that these are the kind of shifts that we're seeing in a lot of the startups, you know, and we're seeing it in B corps and. And, you know, if we, if we look at the rise of some of these startups by young 20-year-olds or whatever, that, that tells you something about the attitude right. and the entrepreneurial spirit in the, in the, in the next generation, Roddy, that you, you know, that you and I haven't had, you know, those kind of abilities or the, the creative sort of um, mindsets to just be a very exploratory in nature. You know, we've been taught a certain way, we've delivered a certain way. But if you look at this this next generation of young people who we are hope, you know, who are going to become the future leaders, if you just look at what some of these are doing, I think we can learn a lot of lessons from them. And I think, 
you know, people development and people investment is, is so fundamental here. And it's something that I think businesses pay less attention to. They focus on the technologies, they focus on the systems and the processes, which then they get so fixated on and they can't change them. But people, people, people are fundamental. Right. You know, I fundamentally agree with you. And, and in fact, I think the one way of looking at it as we start to close out, one way of looking at it is the fantastic opportunity now of, of augmenting people capabilities with very fancy technology. So when you look at, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, but it's a mindset, right? I mean, we can go and we can analyze data from our SAP or any ERP system and say, well, we got these records. We know what happened, how many times it happened. But, but how about getting into the augmented analytics where we're more predictive and we're learning over time? So as we close out, and, and you and I both know John Gatorna very well, and, and I can remember when John Stood first started talking about his demand-driven segmentation, you know, I watched supply chain people go all googly-eyed and, 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 and vague and say, well, where on earth would we start thinking about this? That's not how we think about segmentation. I think, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost and to, to make the point that you did, right, how can you do a risk management strategy without an outside-in segmented look at all the various components and characteristics of demand? Because, you know, as John found, there's 18 different characteristics uh, and archetypes of, of looking at what drives demand, how sophisticated can you get with demand forecast accuracy. So I think John's time is coming back and, and we're going to be doing one of these uh, interviews with John because I think outside in uh, segmentation to improve demand forecast accuracy is probably a really important step in a risk management strategy. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, what I, and, and I think you're, you're speaking to the perfect person that links to the point that we made earlier as well, Roddy, about, you know, it's not about just getting the forecasting right, right? It's, it's about translating that demand and making it into a value proposition. If we look at, you know, some examples of the greats like the Amazons and the Zaras and the uh, Unilevers and the P&Gs of the world, right? So we only have to look at the list of top 25 Gartners. Um, you know, they, they, they truly, um, they don't just sense demand, they translate that demand upstream to their supply chain. And I think that's the point I was making earlier that right. it's so important to get the demand segmentation is, is a very critical part. And I think because of great works like Professor, you know, John Gotona, who has, has done some really, really good stuff here. And I think we've started improving our understanding on that area, but I think a lot more work is needed upstream because what we haven't done as a result of this learning journey is sorted out our supply complexity, our supply capacities, um, and, and the requirements that are, um, that are needed there to actually match the 18 different characteristics and architects of, of the consumers. So those examples that I've just mentioned, I think they're really good at putting the consumer at the heart of the supply chain. But what they're also really good at is predicting demand. You talked about, you know, these uh, uh, artificial intelligence, for example, now allow us uh, with predictive analytic tools. So, you know, we're moving beyond just sensing and translating demand to actually predicting demand as well. So, you know, I think the future is, you know, really looking fascinating. I think we have so many tools in our hands right now into how we want to shape our supply chains. I really do think it is time for a massive mindset change. I think we need to truly look at 
maybe redefining the, the very concept of supply chain management and what supply chain is. As I, as I mentioned earlier, it is about supply chain risk management, but more so, I think it's more about resilient, sustainable supply chains. I think that every business out there needs to put the planet as the key focus, and we need to almost design it backwards from there, where consumers, where ecologies, governments, NGOs are all very much a vital part of um, you know, our future economies, basically. That's a fantastic note to end on. And Professor Americon, thank you. It's, it's an absolute privilege to have you as, as one of the chapters in our big book of, you know, where supply chain has come from, where it is today and where it's going. Uh, and leaders like you, thank you for playing the role that you are in developing the leaders of the future. So thanks for making the time. And it was a pleasure to have you on the session. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Roddy. Thank you.